want to see the world from a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation, intriguing stories, and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. What if you took the time to Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Talk with Francesca. I'm your host, Francesca, and I'm thrilled to share with you incredible women from all over the world who are living and leading extraordinary lives while rewriting the rules. Each week, I interview a woman who I believe has a powerful story and has found her secret sauce to live a courageous life and will leave you inspired and ready to get your mojo on. So stay with me here. If you'd like to contact me with comments, you can email me at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. My web address is talkwithfrancesca.com. Check it out for anything you want or need to know about Talk with Francesca, whether it be to hear a past show or to find out about upcoming shows. So we're going to dive right in. We've got a lot to cover today. If only being well-educated and blonde and coming from a good family were enough to defang all life's demons, Leslie Morgan Steiner was in crazy love, that is, madly in love with a man who routinely abused her and threatened her life. Why Domestic Violence Victims Don't Leave. And you are listening to Talk with Francesca, and we're going to talk about a disturbing question that has an equally disturbing answer. The one question that everyone asks about a domestic violence victim, why does she stay? Well, Leslie Morgan Steiner doesn't look the part. She has an MBA and an undergraduate degree from Ivy League schools. She lives in a red brick house on a tree-lined street in one of the prettiest neighborhoods in D.C. She's got 15 years of marketing experience at Fortune 500 companies. She's a New York Times best-selling author of Crazy Love. She's a regular guest on the Today Show, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News, MSNBC. She's been profiled in Newsweek, Business Week, L. I could go on and on, Self Vogue, Vanity Fair, the Los Angeles Times, and the Washington Post. And she's joining us here today. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Thank you so much. I get tired just hearing that bio. <laughs> well, it's something to be proud of, though. It really is. And um, I and, and I saw your TED Talk, and um, I can see why you had over 3 million viewers. It's, it's amazing. It's heart-wrenching. Um, so, obviously, uh, it would be easy to assume that someone with an Ivy League education like yourself would be too smart to be fooled by an abusive man. But obviously, we know this is a mistake made by millions of women. So no hint of violence, but just five days before your first wedding, the abuse began. So tell us, what happened? Well, what happened that day um, was my fiancé at the time um, strangled me. It was early in the morning, and he was angry at something meaningless. And... I think he knew I couldn't leave at that point because I was in love with him and we were about to get married. And he took advantage of it. And I was terrified. There's no experience to compare with being choked like that, um, especially by somebody who you think you love and who loves you. But I was in love with him, and my denial really crept in really quickly, which is what often happens with abuse victims. And I believed he would never do it again and that he didn't mean to hurt me and that he was just having cold feet before the wedding. And so 
I forgave him, and five days later, I put on my mom's wedding dress, and I stood up in a church, and I married him, and then he beat me twice more on our honeymoon. And what I thought was love turned into to crazy love. And pretty much before I knew what had happened, a man who I thought was the man of my dreams turned out to be my tormentor. So had you had any hint whatsoever of any kind of uh, abuse prior to him strangling you five days before your wedding? Yes and no. When I reread Crazy Love, there are times where the red flags are really clear to me now, and maybe they would be to you too. But when I was falling in love with him, I missed all the red flags, in part because I knew nothing about relationship abuse. I didn't know what the warning signs were. But also because, you know, love has that intoxicating ability to make us overlook our lover's flaws. And so I made excuses for the things that he did that now are red flags. He was very possessive early on, um, but he wrapped it up in this package of, oh, I'm so crazy about you, I need to know where you are. Um, So it didn't feel like possessiveness. He told me that I looked better without makeup, so I shouldn't wear any. And he started dictating what my clothing choices should be. But this all happened very slowly and subtly. And, you know, abuser never hits you on the first date. And they never warn you that they were going to abuse you. And Connor really wrapped it all up in the fact that he was in love with me and that he wanted to take care of me and protect me. So those were all very significant warning signs. But another warning sign that I didn't know was a warning sign is that he had been terribly physically abused as a young child. Uh, And he had a rage in him because of that experience that didn't come out until we really became intimate and and were on the verge of getting married. So it sounds like it was a bit of a psychological trap, a bit of, it was a psychological trap, and it sounded like he was very seductive and, and, and charmed you into falling in love with him. He was a very charming intelligent and in many ways wonderful person. I think this is what is really hard to understand about domestic violence is that Connor was 49% the greatest person I'd ever met. Um, Smart, funny, self-deprecating, loving, kind, but 51% the most troubled man I'd ever met. And you know, we wouldn't fall in love with abusers if they were all bad, if they were demons, if they were monsters. They're not. They're human beings who you often feel quite sorry for because they've suffered abuse in their lives. And they can be very charming and seductive, and he was. And I think, you know, the other thing that is misleading is that people think that I was too smart to become abused, which implies that only stupid women are abused. And it has nothing to do with intelligence or socioeconomic class or religion or race. Anybody can become vulnerable to an abuser, and anybody can become an abuser. So, at what point in your relationship did you realize that you, how long did it take you to realize, okay, enough is enough? How many years from the the time you started with him until you said, that's it? It took four years, um, which which is a relatively short period of time in in the abuse cycle. But I was very fortunate in that I had two good friends who, who realized something was going wrong, and they very gently confronted me about it, and that sort of broke down my denial. And then I started to research relationship abuse, and I learned a lot about it. And 
although I never would have admitted at the time that I was an abuse victim. I thought I was a, you know, a strong, smart, independent woman in love with a troubled man. Uh-huh. I started to really see that the abuse was Connor's problem, not my fault, and that he had some degree of control over it. And when I started um, giving him ultimatums, um, that's when the abuse got even worse. And it, it eventually got so bad that I realized he was going to kill me. And that's when I was able to have the strength to leave or became frightened enough that my fear was more intense than my love for him. So, Leslie, the one question, unfortunately, myself included, ashamed to admit, is why would she stay with such an abusive guy? So, Leslie, why, why, why? Share with our listeners. Well, I would have asked the same question. Um, And it's complicated to explain it. It really, relationship abuse is a psychological, physical, financial, geographic trap disguised as love. And Connor laid the foundation for this very slowly and very gradually. And it doesn't happen overnight. And it's sort of like it happened so gradually that I didn't realize that I was being abused. I know it sounds impossible to believe that, but it is really true. Um, And I felt really sorry for him because he'd been so abused as a kid. And I wanted to protect him, which is why I didn't tell people what he was doing to me. And it just really takes a long time for abuse victims for us to realize that we are being abused. And I know that's very hard to understand, um, but it's true. And also, I did leave. I left many times. Um, abuse victims, we, it usually takes us on average seven attempts to leave before we leave for good. And I probably left four or five times before I actually ended the relationship. But I always went back because he was really good at apologizing. Mm-hmm. And because I... I loved him, and he, as I said, he was a great person in some ways, and I always had hope that he would return to the person I knew he had been at the beginning, and it just took a long time for that hope to dissipate and to go away. So, Leslie, was your inner voice conversing with you at all, telling you that something wasn't right? Yes, it was, but I was really stubborn and really kind of overconfident that we could overcome it and that I could help him overcome it. I think, you know, the abuse victims are most commonly women between the ages of 16 to 24. I was 22 when I met Connor. And I think in some ways I didn't know enough about the world and of people, and I was overconfident that, that because I had felt like I had overcome a lot of my life already and accomplished a lot, that I could help him, you know, fix this. And because I loved him, I thought that love could help fix him. And I thought it was kind of my job as a woman to help him. Um, and it's, that's the kind of thing I wouldn't fall for now. But as a young, somewhat naive woman, I was really primed by our society and our culture to think that that was my obligation, you know, to, to somebody, to a man who I loved. To rescue him. So are you? So would you consider yourself an enabler or a rescuer? No, I wouldn't, because I think those words are kind of um, blame the victim too much, and the only person who is responsible for the abuse is the abuser. In my case, Connor was responsible. It wasn't his fault that he became an abuser, but it really was his responsibility. So, and I also, I I know firsthand how cunning and seductive the abuse cycle is, so I wouldn't blame myself, but I, I didn't 
if you're getting at, you know, did I help him? Yes, of course I did. I, I triggered his abuse, and I helped him be an abuser by not leaving. And one of the reasons I left eventually was that I, an expert in male battering told me that the best thing I could do to help him was to leave, to signal that abuse wasn't okay, and that actually the best thing that could happen to Connor would be if he were arrested for what he was doing to me. That I, if I wanted to help him, that's what I should do, not lie and protect him. Did you have any contact with him at all today? No, no, no. not at all. And I, I intend to never have contact with him again. You know, believe it or not, even though it's been almost 20 years, I, I'm still terrified of him. And if, if you walked in the room today, I would involuntarily start to shake. You know, he held oh. his guns to my head. He strangled me many times. He pushed me downstairs. He humiliated me. He degraded me. I, I have really good reason to be afraid of him, and I am. Oh, my goodness. So... Leslie, is there a typical victim? I mean, is it someone who might have a chink in their self-esteem? And that's that's a question, not a judgment. I know, but don't we all have chinks in our self-esteem? Absolutely, isn't, absolutely. Isn't, isn't absolutely. love about uh, yeah, seeing that thing exactly. and taking care of you, you know? But what I'm wondering yes, is, yeah. There so, is something in common. So I've met, you know, since publishing Crazy Love in 2009, I've met hundreds and hundreds of abuse victims, men and women, because men can be abused, too, either by other men or by women, believe it or not. Um, and this is what I'll tell you we all have in common. It's a, it's a simple thing, but it's invisible. We all have those really big hearts that yeah. we believe the best in everybody. We're hope junkies. We're always hoping that somebody's going to get course, better. Of and course, of course. We and you've invested, and once you've invested in a relationship, right? I mean, once you, right. you know, yeah. it's just like, right. you know, it's like anything. You're doing, you know, you're building something, and and you're committed, and yes, of course, I get it, I get it. And oh. all the types of people that you know believe everybody gets a second chance, and and I'll tell you that is the way that I raise my daughters today, and my son, and it's my favorite quality in other people is that that kindness. But we abuse victims, we sort of take it too far. And abusers themselves are really good at spotting that kind of kindness and hopefulness in a victim. Mm. And I, you know, I think that the, the bigger question actually is not to ask why I stayed, why a victim stays, but to ask why an abuser abuses such a person. You know, I was really deeply committed to helping Connor. And why did he do the one thing that he knew would either kill me or make me leave him? You know, it's We've got to understand abuser psychology better if we're going to try to really try to end a, a relationship abuse in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Leslie Morgan Steiner. She's the author of Crazy Love. It's her memoir. Um, it's about her ex-husband's uh, severe abuse. Leslie, um, what did you say... Um, Five days before your wedding, when he hurt you, I mean, did you did you say anything to him? Um, you know, what, I guess my question would be, um, okay, obviously, I mean, the guy was pretty severe right before your wedding, and and I know, you know, a woman wants to get married and you know walk down that aisle and the fairy tale and all that other stuff, but but I guess my question might be to you. Um, you know, why might you not say I love you, but I don't want to get married. I'll stay with you, but I think we have to work this out. I mean, did did you talk to him about this at all? Did you did you in any way um, 
let him know that this, you know, this is a serious thing and we, we can't do this and until we can kind of work this through? Or, or were you just, what happened? Did you talk to him? Well, you know, Francesca, that's a really, really insightful question. And I have met many, many abuse victims who leave after the first time they're attacked. And the difference between me and those very lucky people is that I didn't leave then, and I didn't even confront him about it. And I know that seems extraordinary. Um, I'm too smart to have not confronted him. I have too much self-esteem to have not confronted him. All of those questions are really valid, and I'll, I'll try to tell you why I didn't confront him. I had all of these voices in my head that said, he didn't mean to hurt me, he didn't really hit me, he just strangled me, which actually is much worse, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, I knew he was sorry, even though he didn't apologize. I, it was like I wrote this whole script for him mm. that it was because I loved him, I wanted it to have not happened, I, I wanted it to never happen again, and I also felt really sorry for him. And well, you I loved him. You, you genuinely loved him. I thought I did, and I thought that he genuinely loved me, and I thought that this is what you did if you if found your soulmate, is that you helped them. Uh-huh. And I didn't know how dangerous it was. I didn't know how that violence like that always gets worse. Um, and I just, I didn't know. And I... I don't think it would have made any difference whatsoever if I had confronted him. I think he would have said all the right things, and I would have married him anyway. But even to this day, I'm really, I'm chagrined. I'm embarrassed. Um, I feel like I let myself down. I I didn't confront him, and I didn't leave that. I wish I had. You know what, Leslie? I hear a little bit of that in your voice, and it was, you know, it was making me a little sad hearing that. Like, you know, you don't need to explain to anybody, right? You were the one who was abused. Um, and, and, you know, you weren't responsible. You don't need to explain why you didn't leave. It's, it's not a judgment. It really is a question. And I actually get it. And I, and I hear where you're coming from and that that's not so uncommon, I don't think, um, especially for women who are in those shoes or were in those shoes to make, you sort of rewrite that story to fit fit your life you know there's a lot of disruption that goes on right you're in this relationship with someone you're living with them you're getting married to them you 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 want you know maybe he's the family i i we haven't even discussed your family i I, i'm um but i am curious to what extent was staying with connor consequences a consequence of things that happened in your own child uh childhood i mean I, I don't know, had he seen something in you that tipped him off that maybe maybe you, I don't know, maybe had a fear of abandonment? Was there any of that? Well, I grew up in a family with no violence. And I think that the people who are most vulnerable to getting enmeshed in abusive relationships are people who grew up with it, so they think it's normal, or people like me who grew up with none of it, so we're very naive. And I never yes. in my wildest dreams thought... Yes. A boy or a man would ever hurt me. I loved boys. I trusted them. I was too trusting because I, I had a wonderful childhood. But the thing that I did have that kind of primed me for being an abuse victim is that I grew up in an alcoholic home. And alcoholism is a lot like abuse in that you get very used to one reality being behind closed doors and presenting a false front to the rest of the world. And also, 
you know, you often love the alcoholic and want to protect them just the way that I loved Connor and wanted to protect him. So I think that made me vulnerable, but I, I had a supportive family that would have helped me if I had told them that I was being abused. And I almost told my dad the day that, of my wedding. I almost told, confessed to my father, but I just, I couldn't quite bring myself to do it because I knew he wouldn't let me marry Connor. I knew he'd stop the wedding, and I, I, so much, I had so much hope in me. Um, that this would just be a one-time problem and that, that it would go away. And I, I just had no idea how very wrong I was. And I also want to say I'm not ashamed at all that I was abused, and I'm not ashamed of what Connor did to me, but I, I am ashamed that I stayed for so long because I feel like, and that's one of the reasons I speak now, is that I want to give people information about what abuse really looks like so that they can recognize it earlier and leave earlier than I did because... I really, my life was destroyed by Connor. You know, he spent all of my money. I took out a lot of business school debt in his name, wow. and he almost killed me. And it was a very, it's a very risky thing to stay with somebody like that. So I'm trying to educate people about what it looks like so that nobody else will stay as long as I did. If you're just tuning in today, you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Leslie Morgan Steiner. Leslie, we do need to take a break. Um, and if you are just tuning in and you would like to send comments, please do so to info at talkwithfrancesca.com. We're going to um, hear from our sponsors who make this show possible, and we will be right back. Don't go where. Are you looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's restaurant guide, pastas without compare. And it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or terramiarestaurante.com. Ladies, it's time to enjoy a new you. Stop hiding. Experience a tradition of quality results and a standard of excellence in service with the plastic surgery and skin care practices at Kaya Culp Aesthetics, located at 75 Herrick Street in Beverly. Whether you're looking to seek enhancement, reconstruction, or skin care, Kaya Culp is the only place to visit. Kaya Culp Aesthetics offers a synergistic approach to cosmetic and reconstructive procedures so you'll achieve the best aesthetic result possible. Contact Kaya Culp Aesthetics to schedule your consultation today, 978-927-6656, or visit them at kayaculp.com and discover the internal or external solution you've been looking for. Kaya Culp means rejuvenation. Plan to expect that and more when you experience exceptional results in plastic surgery and skin care. So contact Kaya Culp Aesthetics today. Now what are you waiting for? Brown Sugar by the Sea is unique to the area with a contemporary, creative, healthy take on traditional Thai cuisine. You'll find well-known favorites, as well as some unexpected goodies stemming from far-flung regions of Thailand. Fresh vegetables, bright flavors, and herbs stand out in every brown sugar dish and can be delivered conveniently to your door or enjoyed in their warm and welcoming dining room. A full bar, a pizzazzy cocktail menu, live music on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and a smiling, knowledgeable staff will make your brown sugar experience perfectly sweet. So visit Brown Sugar by the Sea for an unforgettable experience from start to finish. You'll be glad you did. Brown Sugar by the Sea, 75 Water Street in Newburyport, or visit them at brownsugarbythesea.com. 
Contemporary furniture meets elegant Italian design at Boston's Il Decor. In Il Decor's expansive back bay showroom, you'll find the showpiece of your dreams or just that decorative finishing touch. Does your home need remodeling? Il Decor's knowledgeable staff offer guidance for any area of your home. A complimentary in-house design consultation awaits you at Il Decor, 10 St. James Avenue, Boston. So why wait? Call Il Decor at 617-580-3443. Check out our website, ildecor.com, or stop in at Il Decor today. Mention this ad and receive 10% off any regularly priced item. If you're anything like me, your dog is no different than your child. That's why when I can't take him with me, I bring him to the Beach Dog Doggy Daycare at 96 Newburyport Turnpike in Newberry. Specializing in the care of small dogs, the small dog with the big dog attitude, there is no other daycare specializing in small dogs only. That's why I take my dog to the Beach Dog Doggy Daycare. And they offer free pickup and drop-off services to the local Newburyport area with homestyle playrooms with sofas, blankets, and rugs, and dogs group daily by not only their social personality, but mood of the day. Where else could I possibly take my little guy? Visit the Beach Dog Dog Daycare.com. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno. Ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617 723 I know from my own experience that buying furniture can be a daunting process. All that changed with my visit to Neo Furniture. In spite of the store's small size, I was overwhelmed with the variety of contemporary Italian furniture Neo has to offer. The sky is the limit. I got a white leather sectional sofa from Neo delivered in just a few days. Absolutely in love with it. Neo Furniture made my experience pleasant and unforgettable. Neo Furniture in Framingham, call 508-270-1010 or go to neo-furniture.com and see it for yourself. All right, we are back, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Leslie Morgan Steiner. She's the author of Crazy Love, which is a memoir about her own abusive relationship with her ex-husband. Welcome back, Leslie. Thank you. So, Leslie, um, there are just so many questions. I, 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 my mind is clamoring here. Um, well, I will yeah. answer any questions. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm really open about it, and I think part of the way that we raise awareness about the dynamic of relationship abuse is to, uh, is to answer those, those terrible questions that you're, you're probably... Feel like embarrassed to ask because it's too personal, but you can really ask me anything. You know, um, it just you know you were obviously uh, paralyzed by your own denial, and um, which is probably it sounds like the reason that you you stayed so long. Um, and but you know, secrecy is the the bedrock of any kind of abuse. So you know, talking about it would be uh, more than likely at least give you. If you were to talk about, you were able to talk about it, at least it would have given you a place to go. So, but you couldn't. Was there, did you not have girlfriends or sisters or anybody that, that, that you 
could feel i mean you you had a, a great friend or have a great friend winnie you know what what you, you, did did she pick up on what was going on with you well this is what happened and this is what almost always happens in an abusive relationship is that before they start the violence the abuser isolates you from your friends and family and that's what connor did he convinced me to leave new york city to leave my job at 17 magazine to move to this tiny town in new england where i knew no one so I became isolated from all of my friends and family pretty quickly. And he also knew exactly who I was closest to. I was closest to my mother and to my younger sister and to Winnie. And so he tried very hard to insult them and alienate me from them. But for whatever reason, Winnie, he, Winnie wouldn't let him do it. And he insulted her so much. Every time she came to visit me, every time she called me, he, he would beat me after I talked to her on the phone because... He knew he had to get me away from her, but she refused to go away. And Good for her. that was really one and it was really she's a very kind and wise, loving person. And when I confessed to her that he was abusing me, um, she begged me to leave him. And I because I, I loved her and trusted her, I told her the truth, which was that I didn't want to and that I couldn't. And to her great credit, she stood by me then too. She didn't say, Well, I can't be friends with you. She said, okay, I understand. It must be wonderful to love somebody so much, and I'm still here for you. I'll be here in the middle of the night. I'll be here anytime. And she, it helped me so much. It was two years before I left him. But it helped me to know that I had at least one person in the world who knew what I was going through. And that was invaluable. And that's what I would recommend to anybody who knows an abuse victim who can't leave is don't shame her. Don't make her feel bad for staying. Try to love her through it and to be there for her when she's ready to leave. Because when I was ready to leave, when he was the first person I called. You know, I um, I really that you you were so lucky. You know, you were so blessed. Um, so lucky. Yeah, you were because you know I I have to say that um, for myself, you know, I've I've had friends in the past, and and I have to you know. I don't know, maybe it, you know, what does this make me? But I, I have seen abuse um, in the past with a few friends and um, many years ago. But, you know, I, I couldn't, it, it became just nauseating to me, unbearable to be around. And I think that's, that is the way it is for, um, for many people. It's very, very difficult to watch someone be abused and still love them because you're trying to help them get out of it and it just becomes so I don't know what the word is whether it be cumbersome or painful I think it becomes painful to keep watching someone that you care about get beat up and I don't even necessarily mean physically but you know it could be emotionally just you know being in that dead end relationship that you know not only is not going anywhere that's the least of it but that it, you you just they're getting clamored they're just they're getting as i said beat up emotionally and it's a very difficult thing for many of us to be around so um lucky you really um that that you had that Leslie um and obviously you say words are so important uh, one of Connor's best friends reached out to you um and you say that broke your denial. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, this was really amazing. One of the luckiest things that ever happened to me was that Connor's best friend was unusually kind and intuitive. And he, he really, he was my very good friend too. He really deeply cared for both of us. 
and he knew something was wrong. And I think that there's a chance that maybe he had some abuse in his background because he just picked up on it, and he did exactly the right thing. He confronted me, and he just told me that I acted really differently around Connor um, and that, that he knew something was wrong and that he wanted me to know that he was there for me if, if I needed help. And I, one of the things that was key about Ed doing that is that I knew that he really cared for Connor, too, so he didn't demonize Connor. I knew he wanted to help Connor, and that mattered a lot to me because at the time I was Connor's protector and in love with him, so I would have been really turned off by anybody who attacked Connor. And that's something that's very hard for friends and family of abuse victims to understand is that you cannot demonize the abuser because you'll just alienate the victim. And, of course, Francesca, you're frustrated and nauseated and disgusted by being even in the same room with somebody who you know is taking abuse. And I feel the same way today, even as a victim. And it's a really natural response, but we have to fight it. And instead of getting angry at the victim, we have to hold the abuser responsible and help the victim by supporting her. And you, know, you and I haven't even talked about what it's like to be around a victim who has children. You know, right, right. It's, that it's has terrible. got to be. You, you want you're, it's the normal to get so angry at the victim, and it's it's something we've got to stop doing as a society. And our police officers and family court judges have got to stop doing because. It shows no understanding of the, com- the complexity and the power of domestic violence. Right. And it doesn't do the kids or victims or the abusers any good. We've got to hold only the abusers responsible. But just like my friend Ed, it doesn't help to get angry at them either because they were victims too. And the, the key is to hold them responsible for the abuse without blaming them or shaming them because they're never going to get help if you treat them in that way. Well, thank you for, um, you know, saying that you want to dispel some of the stereotypes of, of um, abused women or, or victims. I, I appreciate that. So um, are there, Leslie, are there any warning signs or patterns that one might be able to see before even getting involved? Are there any, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, we all have different thresholds, you know, um, you know, I have a friend who has, you know, an unbelievable BS detector, you know. <laughs> and then I have another friend who, you know, these are both two single women, and they're the antithesis of, um, you know, one another. It's amazing. One is like, ah, you know, red flag, red flag, red flag. And then the other one is just, you know, they're, they're both doing the sort of the online thing. And, and this other friend, she'd been back and forth with this guy for six weeks, uh, you know, texting and emailing. And, I mean, that to me is extreme. And yet her her um, reasoning was, and I say was, because she finally caught on that this guy was a scammer and he was trying to take her money. Um, you know, she kept saying she wanted to meet him and he kept saying, well, he did not want the physical aspect of the relationship to come into play and he wanted to find out about her and she he wanted her to find out about him. Um, you know, because this is a form of abuse, obviously, right? Right, right, um, it is. Yeah. You know, and, um, and it, it really went against her grain. But, you know, there was a part of her that was really kind of tickled with, wow, this guy really doesn't care what I look like and he just really <laughs> wants to get to know me. And I'm like screaming at her going, are you crazy? You know, and, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, and I, but then, you know, when I really listened to her, it's like, I mean, she fell in love with this guy online 
for, you know, I don't know if we're getting too off the beaten track here, but I mean, I think it all comes into play here. You know, that that she, and, and when she realized he started asking her for money, she went, ah, red flag, finally, finally. It's like, thank you, you know, and, and um, you know, she, she stopped it. But I will tell you what, she was heartbroken. She was heartbroken right, like I she know. had had an actual relationship with this guy even though she had never even met him. So what I'm saying is, you know, on, on one hand, you know, I, I have another friend who says, you know what, if, if I have more than, you know, two little bits of conversation with the guy online and, and he wants to keep going, I say, no, let's just meet and that's it. So there's two two extremes here. Um, I'm not sure either one is, is great. Um, but... But, you know, so where is that middle ground of what are some of those red flags? I mean, you've been in this kind of a relationship um, where there's been abuse, uh, severe abuse. What kind of red flags? Is it, is it seductive charm? Is it, is it, you know, the person builds trust? What is it that, you know, the, the women can watch out for so that they don't get trapped? Because obviously you are a very intelligent woman. No one would expect someone like yourself to be victimized the way that you were. So, so tell us, what, what, can, what can women be on the lookout for? Well, I would say men, too, have to be on the lookout to it, for it, too, because what you're really talking about is gaslighting and emotional abuse. Um, there's lots of abuse that takes place without any physical violence. And if it were really easy to avoid, if I could just give you, you know, the six warning signs, yeah, yeah, we, sure. we would have gotten rid of this a long time ago. The problem with emotional abuse and physical abuse is that it's so hard to spot and avoid, especially at the beginning. But what you want to look for is you want to look for a fairy tale stage at the beginning. You know, somebody who seems too good to be true is too good to be true. And then you, the second phase, which always comes in, is that they want to isolate you. They want to isolate you from your friends and family, and they want you to keep secrets from other people. And then what it becomes more obvious is any sort of physical violence. It's always wrong, um, and it always gets worse. But the, the more subtle thing is emotional abuse, which is really the kind of thing where they they make you feel badly, they make you feel ashamed, they make you not trust yourself, they make you not trust your own judgment. And these are very subtle things, Francesca. I mean, how can you test somebody for that? It's really, really hard. And it's one reason why I say that anybody can be an abuse victim because it's so subtle and seductive. And I... I could become a victim again. I know many people who work in domestic violence agencies and shelters who have been abused themselves after they've been working there. Because abusers are really good at this kind of stuff. And I think that they're very needy people, abusers. And so they, they're very convincing. You know, your friend who was actually pretty lucky that the guy just wanted her money and was a con artist, because that's mm -hmm. easier to spot. But when somebody really wants your love, then... How do you look out for that? It's really hard. You look for possessiveness, um, be healthily suspicious, and look for anybody who wants you to keep a secret because abuse of any sort thrives only in secrecy. And if somebody wants you to keep a secret from other people, that's the biggest red flag of all. Ah, right. If you're just tuning in, we're talking today about women who are assaulted by the men they love. And I'm speaking with Leslie Morgan Steiner about her secret life of violence and her struggle to free herself 
from that cycle. She is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Crazy Love. Leslie, why did it take you 20 years to write the book? Was it, was it too <laughs> Was it a good thing you know, that you wrote it, or was it not a good thing that you wrote it? I don't know. It was a great thing for me that I wrote it. The reason I'm really laughing is that so many people come up to me and say, oh, I loved Crazy Love. I read it in one day. And it took me over 10 years to read the thing. It took well, me probably plowing, you were probably doing some healing as you were writing, no? I was. Yeah. I was crying. I was doing healing. It was a kind of therapy. I Absolutely. was looking to understand it myself. And also, it's a hard story to tell mm-hmm. because it's painful. Yeah. Because yeah. I also I wanted people to want to read it. So I, I had to make sure that it wasn't too maudlin. It wasn't filled with self-pity. I tried to make it funny because, believe it or not, there were many times along the way that the, the violence wasn't funny, but Connor himself was funny and... Life and love and sex and relationships are always funny, even when they're as dire as mine were. And so it just took a long time to get it that way. And I would would work on it and then put it down for a year or two and then work on it more. And it has been an amazing experience for me because it's the opposite of keeping a secret. You know, I went out there and told everybody using my own real name, you know, what had happened to me. And it was cleansing and healing and it's ditto for the TED Talk and every time that I speak publicly about it, it's, it's very good for me. And it's also wonderful to take a, a bad experience like that, something that almost killed me, and turn it into a force for good by trying to educate other people about the dynamics of relationship abuse so they don't, they don't make the same, they hopefully do not make the same mistakes that I did. Leslie, I know that you had some problems with alcohol and drugs, but then you got sober, which obviously suggest, suggests your strength. But when one has used alcohol and drugs and then they get sober, you know, my thought is that they miss a period of of their life because they were always drunk, right? And so I'm I'm wondering if they miss a piece of of that growing up, of of maturing. What are your thoughts? I think that's that's absolutely true. Um, Um, Yeah. You know, in some ways, Connor was the first person that I was in love with, even though I, you know, met him when I was 22, and I, I'd had other relationships before, but they hadn't been sober relationships, and I hadn't really been in love. So in some ways, being, being sober made me more vulnerable. I also, you know, I got sober from alcohol and drugs when I was 18, and so I kind of had this feeling like, well, I lift that, you know, I can do anything. And it made me very confident in a way that was actually dangerous. So I felt like, oh, well, if I wrestled my own demons, I can help Connor wrestle his. Uh Um, And that was a mistake. I I did not have any understanding of how deep and powerful his rage was. Um, And also, I married him when I'd only known him for two years, which felt like a long time at the time. But I think if I had slowed things down and waited longer, um, if I had postponed the wedding that first time that he hit me five times before the ceremony... I, I think I wouldn't have married him, and it wouldn't have been as bad. Um, but I think I was just young and overconfident, and thought I could. I thought I could do anything. Uh-huh. And love makes you feel that way, right? It makes uh-huh. you feel like yeah. you will do anything, and you can do anything. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Leslie, I'm curious what happens to victims once they are able to get out. I mean, are they stalked? Do, do, does the uh, abuse continue? 
um, from afar, you know, and what about, you know, those that you touched on with children? I mean, you know, what, what happens there? I mean, what, how, or is it once you've left, that's it? That they know that they can't, that they've lost you and that's the end of that. Because, I mean, sometimes, you know, these, these crazy abusers, you know, they're so furious um, that they've lost who they thought they loved. And I, and I say that because I'm not so sure that they have the ability to really love, certainly not love in a, in a healthy way. So, it's not love in a healthy way. No. And I, I, don't think, I, I don't think Connor truly loved me. And I think that's true of most abusers. They tend to think of us as their property in a way, something mm. that they own and control. Yes. And so when you have the strength to leave, it triggers them. It makes them incredibly furious. Mm-hmm. And the most dangerous time in any abuse victim's life is right after she leaves, because the vast majority of domestic violence homicides happen when we leave. And abusers have no incentive at that point to apologize, to sweet talk us, to be nice. They're just pure rage at that point. So stalking is really common, using the family court system um, and the divorce court system to get back at their victims for leaving. It's very common. And I speak a lot to district attorneys and family court judges. It's one of my favorite audiences because they're so powerful in the life of a victim. Because you can't treat an abuse victim like a normal family court divorce because the abuser is going to be so charming and wonderful and the victim is going to present as hysterical and high strung because we are and we have good reason to be. And one thing that I always advise police officers and family court judges is to believe the victim. If she says he's going to kill her or he's threatened to kill her children, you better believe her because it happens. We're the expert on what an abuser is going to do, and we really need to be believed. And too often, victims, especially female victims, are not believed and are dismissed as being hysterical and not good mothers and, and mentally unstable because we actually present that way because we're so scared. Well, um, worse, they it, caused it. Part of crazy love. Well, well, also, or worse, that they caused it, right? Right, right, that we provoked it. Provoked um, it, or... It our fault for staying. staying. Exactly, right. exactly. Um, so I got really lucky in that Connor kind of, quote-unquote, let me go. He stalked me for a couple of weeks, and then he got involved with somebody else, and oh. he completely let me go. And I'm also lucky that I didn't have kids with him. Um, oh, yes, but definitely. For most victims, what I would say is that you do need to leave, but you also need to be very strong when you leave because in some ways the real battle just begins when you Absolutely. leave. Because the terrible news about this. Do you think it's, a, it's, any, it's addictive in any way, this kind of love? Hmm. Not the way that alcohol and drugs or you know, heroin are, are as addictive because it's not a physical addiction, but it can be a mental addiction. A mental addiction in like trying that I'm going to fix this problem. I know I can do well, it. You that, know, just that sort of high powered. I mean, here, and I, I get, you know, and this, I, this is, you know, armchair psychology 101. I don't know. But, you know, I'm just wondering you're a super high powered woman. You always were. You still are. You know, that you can handle anything. Um, you know, is this part of, you know, there's nothing that I can't do? You know, yes, that, oh. all of those things are true. And right. also, you know, like, I think the one thing that anybody can identify with who's ever been in love is that being in love is such an intoxicating feeling that it is like a drug. Well, it and is. The, the, the magical atmosphere that there's, right. you know, 
you know, obviously. So, so um, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, what about men? I mean, there's that macho factor. You know, people might laugh if they ever, you know, admitted that their wife or their girlfriend was abusing them. How, how do men yeah. de- deal a, with this? And that is exactly what happens, Francesca, is that most people involuntarily will laugh if a man says, you know, that his wife is abusing him. Um, but it happens all the time, and it's really hard to get help for it. Um, domestic violence shelters tend to be only for women. Um, and it's not taken as seriously as it, as it should be, but I've talked to many, many men who are, have been horribly abused emotionally and even physically by women who are much smaller than they are. And well, I don't, think, I don't think physical size has much to do with that, though. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. I, exactly right I guess, Leslie, I'm thinking more of mental abuse than, than physical at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. No, and I know some horrific emotional abuse stories. Um, and also, you know, one thing we have to remember, too, is that children are often victims of family violence. Wow. And so that boys and girls are abused um, when they're little. And it's quite often their mothers who are abusing them. So yeah, the idea right. that women, women can abuse is, is, not, is not true. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a terrible part of our of being human is that sometimes love and abuse go together. And they never should. But they do a lot, and we've got to talk about it. So I'm really glad that you're having this as a topic and that people are listening. And in our own way, right now, we are working to end relationship abuse just by talking about it. Leslie, how did you heal yourself? I'm so glad to hear that you are married with three children. So you were able to move beyond it. I mean, I know that you say that, you know, he still frightens you to death. And that just is, you know, puts a, a, a... pit in my stomach just hearing that um, but you were able to to move on in your own life and be able to love someone and have a family so how were you able to do that okay so I had a really good therapist good I figured <laughs> I figured me a lot yeah, yeah. good um, but I also I, I I knew really early on that I, I didn't need to learn to trust men again that men were fine, that most men are not abusers, and that I just had picked the wrong one. And that what I needed to do was to focus on myself and, and because I needed to learn to trust myself again. That was a really big problem. And so yeah. I went to the therapist to figure out why I hadn't trusted my own instincts and what I wanted in a man the next time around. And I did some really hard work to heal and get there. And I tell you, most victims who I meet are just like me, that we were abused once, it was pretty serious, and we learned that we never wanted to do that again, and we never did it again. And we picked better the next time around. But you have to be really honest with yourself, and you have to forgive yourself for making a mistake like that, and mm-hmm. um, you have to believe that you deserve better. And those are not easy things to do, but I worked really hard to do them, and I, I think, I also think it's a lifelong, I think I'm still doing it. I think it's a lifelong, that kind of healing is lifelong. Well, you've taken what you have gone through and helped for the good of others, to help others. I mean, obviously. And to help myself, too. And to help <laughs> Because yourself. it really helps me a lot, too. So what would you, what, what would you say in, in closing um, to anybody out there that, let's say to the people who, they, there's, there, there are people out there, there are people listening right now that are abused, or they know someone who's being abused. 
um, that you know may not be in at that stage where they're ready to go what could you offer to them what could you share with them that that would make a difference in either helping someone to get out or they themselves get out the thing that I would say to people is that um, you really can make a difference in helping somebody who is being abused or helping an abuser too just by saying to them that you have noticed that something seems wrong in their life and in their relationship and that no one deserves to be afraid and to live in fear and that you're there to help them. That's the best thing that you can do to help anybody. Um, don't rescue them. Don't feel like you've got to like give them tough love and make them shape up. Just, just try to love them through it, but gently confront them and try to break down their denial. That's the most important thing. Um, and to learn as much as you can about abuse. There's some really wonderful organizations that are committed to educating people about how complex and subtle relationship violence and relationship abuse are. And two of my favorites are um, the One Love Foundation, which specializes in um, kids 16 to 24, kids and young adults 16 to 24. And they have a lot of tools. They have a lethality app that you can, a questionnaire that you can take to assess if you're in an abusive relationship or if your friend or your mom or your dad is in one. And it's very helpful. They also have a lot of online tools. So that's a great one. And then the National Domestic Violence Hotline, um, uh, Love is Not Abused, has great information too. And if you can educate yourself, then you can spot it in yourself and in other people much earlier. But I guess the last thing I would say is to trust your instincts. If you think a friend or a family member is being abused, he or she is. You're just not wrong about these things. And if you think that you, you are being abused or you have, like, I'll tell you, this is a really, really scary thing that, that occurred to me, that happened to me when I was first dating Connor. So early on, I was completely in love with him. Sex was wonderful. Everything was wonderful. It was perfect. And at that same time, there was a really famous case in New York City of a, a young man who was breaking into single women's apartments and raping them at night, at knife point. And I had this tiny little voice in my head that said, where was Connor on those nights? And I don't know why I had that voice. And I, I, I was like, you're crazy. Why would you think that Connor would hurt somebody? But I tell you, somewhere in me, I had this instinctive feeling that he had a rage in him. And this was long before he had hit me, long before anything was wrong. And I'd say to anybody out there, the biggest mistake I made was to ignore that little voice. <sighs> it's a quiet voice, and don't ever ignore it. Well, you know, and that's an, a whole nother uh, day and a whole nother topic. But that, <laughs> that, that inner voice is just, you know, I mean, we, we look for, you know, answers outside of ourselves. We, um, you know, look for people to fulfill us. But, you know, I mean, you know, five, ten minutes a day of just quiet time can make right, all the right, difference right. in the world. And so, you know, I mean... You're saying that from the very beginning, really, that there was this, you had this feeling that he, something was a little off, you know? Yep, and, I did. And, um, you know, if only, you know, listeners out there, you would take the time to, to listen to that voice, to acknowledge that voice. And, you know, even if it, even if it just means taking a few steps back. You know, and, and I think journaling is a great thing, too. I think, you know. I, I, I think know, so, too. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, since I was, 
you know, well, I'm a talker, obviously, um, but, you know, <laughs> I'm a communicator. But, you know, I mean, I get up in the morning, I have my coffee. It's the first thing I do is pull out that journal, even if it's just writing a page of nothingness, you know. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I think that, you know, you get your feelings, your thoughts out and, and, and staying in touch with who you are and being comfortable with who you are. And it is, is makes a world of difference. And, and again, listening to that inner voice. So uh, Leslie Morgan Steiner, I really um, am so grateful that you've taken the time out to share this story with our listeners. And if you could please, um, just in closing, give them some resources, uh, your website, um, where they can get your book, Crazy Love, um, anything, you know, in the last, you know, 30, 40 seconds, I hate to put you in a box like that, um, resources where they can go. And, of course, the show will be posted um, on my well, website. Well, Crazy Love is available everywhere. It's available at bookstores. It's available um, on Kindle. You can order it from Amazon. Um, so that's easy to get. My TED Talk, if you just Google Leslie Morgensteiner TED Talk, it'll come up. Or you can come to my web- website, which is lesliemorgensteiner.com. Um, all of those places are, are good places to start. And I also, on my website is my email address, and I only have one email address. I check it all the time. I know um, you do. I, <laughs> I love to keep it, I love to hear from abuse victims or people who are just curious about it. And as I said, I'll answer any question. So I put myself out there as a resource, too. Oh, <laughs> you're a blessing. You're a so, blessing. Thank you so much, Leslie, for being with so us welcome. here today. Thank you for devoting so much time to such a difficult subject. And... And for, for um, asking such great questions. This, right. is, this is how we all are going to end relationship abuse, is, is by asking and answering the difficult questions. Thanks again, Leslie, so much for being with us today. Okay, thank you, Francesca. Okay. Okay, take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share the show with someone you know and help spread the word to your friends on social media. I'm honored to be on this journey with you. I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a note at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. Have a great week, and we'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Make it a great week. Don't try.